0: listening to out of the box podcast with Rosie Tran out of the box is sponsored by Hugmeetees.com. spread love, give a hug hugmeetees.com guys we are now on SoundCloud check us out on soundcloud.com out of the box podcast and look for us on iTunes and Stitcher radio and as always we love positive comments Um, I got a couple new positive emails trickling in this week and I really appreciate them but what I would love even more is if you could take that positive information and leave it as a comment on iTunes that helps our numbers um, and it also helps to push us up on the iTunes suggested list of podcasts So that makes me very happy. So um, in lieu of an email, I would absolutely love a um, comment on iTunes. So I'm excited today um, to have Lisa Betz-Lacroix. She's an advocate for alternative education and creates content for UnCollege.org. How are you, Lisa? I'm good, thanks. Good to be here. Thank you. I hope I didn't mess up your name too badly. (laughs) My my French is not. um, (laughs) It's a French last name, right?
1: Yeah, I actually grew up in English-speaking Canada pronouncing it Lacroix. La and then decided okay. that that just wasn't going to cut it anymore, so I actually pronounce it correctly now. It's uh,
0: Lacroix La Croix. and the best part so Lacroix La La, right. yeah. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> I had it in my mind, but um then I was like, okay, French 101, Rosie focus. <laughs> uh, no um so how did you you so you homeschool your kids, is that correct? I do. I don't like the word
1: homeschool. I okay. use it. Educate a- me, educate me. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I mean, I actually do say homeschool because that's what people understand. It's too long of an explanation to say otherwise. But since you're uh, looking to go deeper than the just general, you know, superficial um, top level expectation, I don't like the moniker of homeschooling because I think it gives the wrong impression. Um, so there's a, there's a
0: stereotype, right, that a lot of people that homeschool are like religious nuts or they're in, you know, I, I've I I know what you, I know what you're talking about. I've heard a lot of negative connotations with homeschooling, and you know, um, you're saying that's not what I'm doing. You're more um, offering your kids uh, an education system that aligns with your values. Is that more correct? Yes, that that is correct. And it's not
1: necessarily that homeschooling is perceived as negative, necessarily, but I think that it's it's a misnomer, it's a bit of inaccurate, and it gives the wrong impression. So one thing that I like to say is that many people I know who independently educate their kids don't stay home a lot and they're not necessarily recreating school. So to call it homeschool gives the idea that, yes, maybe that uh, that that it's a religious uh, um, community and it's not necessarily, but also that people who do it are sitting at the kitchen table with a math textbook and working on math for 45 minutes and then closing it and now saying, okay, it's time to go to the English textbook. And um, the community that I uh, am most connected with and the community, the group that I formed um, in the Bay area, for the most part, I would say does not do that. Some people do, there's a wide range and people who do that, we call sort of doing school at home. But, um, but I like independent education because it implies what's more accurate, at least in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and in the people that I I know, um, where we're creating very specific, unique, customized approaches to learning for our kids, mm-hmm. and and that could that that could that could reflect a wide range of values in terms of families' approaches, interest, inclination, learning style, level. Um, so I prefer the word independent education. Um, I know other people who say um, they do learning a la carte or or education a la carte or school a la carte or they do eclectic learning or, um, you know, lots of people use different things. And we all use the word uh, homeschooling. And a lot of people seem to lean towards unschooling these days, although I'd say that's a fairly specific approach, too.
0: So what um, is the specific I mean. pr- pr- approach of unschooling? What does that mean for those of us who grew up in the traditional or conventional system and are interested in this, you know, system that you're talking about that you guys are creating for yourself and your children. What, what does that mean to us? You know, use layman's terms for us, us okay. un, un, um, informed.
1: <laughs> so I, I don't consider my family to be an unschooling family. Mm-hmm. Um, to for me, unschooling is a fairly wide continuum of approaches to learning that um that that i would say fairly explicitly reject the standard notions of school and in its most extreme form people who call themselves radical unschoolers um believe in really allowing the learner to completely have freedom and agency over what they do and in the in the in the Um, community of people who call themselves radical unschoolers, sometimes that can even be as extreme as you can sit in front of the television all day long or eat chocolate all day long until you're ready to do something else. Not because they believe it's okay necessarily, or, or in some cases, actually they do. It's okay to play video games. There's something to be learned in playing video games all day. Other people who are radical unschoolers believe that if you give a child the freedom to spend their time the way that they wish that they will come to their own um, their, their own understanding of what they're, what they're interested that they're not going to sit in front of the television or play video games all day long, or that if they do, they will be learning something from it. But often um, what happens is uh, a new interest comes about or arises because that's the way that human beings are and, and uh, as a result, when they do come to their interest, it will be completely driven from within. And so they'll have a, a, an extreme, what, what I like to call and what other people use, an inner locus of control, will um, be completely self-directed and motivated rather than somebody else's idea for them. So that's the extreme of radical unschooling. And then there are other people who call themselves unschoolers, who uh, are not as extreme, who may just... Uh, see learning as being following the learner's lead, the child's lead. So if a child becomes interested in something, you set that in uh, ways to, to engage in that conversation, to provide resources, to um, strew books around that are related to that topic so that you, you follow the child. Um, I've always said that what I do, I don't consider myself to be an unschooler because I have more uh, I've, I've, taken an approach of having more direction and what I call scaffolding with my kids. So I call what I've done, um, in the past six or seven years, um, parent led child approved, which means that I do the research. I come up with the ideas. I make the suggestions. I put, you know, the ingredients, the learning ingredients on the table and they say, yes, I'm interested in that. And then we'll go deeper into that. Or I'll, um, or they'll say, no, that's not my, my thing. Um, The other thing that I also wanted to elaborate on about the difference between what people's perception is of homeschooling um, and what I call independent education is this is not true for all people who independently educate their kids, but it's true for some. And it's certainly true for me. I actually don't teach my kids anything. So the idea that I'm sitting at the kitchen table, teaching my son calculus, and it's just not going to happen. I might, you know, (laughs) Um, so I, I, I'm more of, an administrator, res- resource, um, uh, researcher, uh, that uh, sort of helping create the vision for the learning. Um, so anyway, that's just a brief aside, a brief, brief throw- throwback to what we were talking about before. But I do think it's important for people to realize if they're trying to get a picture of what people who independently educate their kids do, to understand that um, that is not necessarily the assumption that the parent is doing the teaching. And in fact, that's one of the things that so many people... Will be the first thing to say. Oh, I could never homeschool my kids because I'm a terrible teacher, or um, because my my kid and I my kid and I would just kill each other if I tried to teach
0: them. So what is um, the I process? think process? An- so are you having different tutors come in? Are you pr- providing a curriculum? I also want to ask a little bit of logistical information, which um, it, just because I know uh, from the people that I know who are independently educating, they were following some type of Curriculum so that their kid could get certified, kind of like a GED, obviously, but for elementary level, where they were getting able to get certain credits. So, what is the logistical aspects of that, um, just for my personal understanding? Sure. Um, so,
1: again, I would say that in the community that I am a part of, that the so I, a friend and I started a, a group that supports specifically people who live in the Bay Area who are educating their kids without brick and mortar school for the purpose of getting them the academic and intellectual challenge that those kids needed and weren't necessarily getting in schools. Mm -hmm. And we have 500 families in it. And I would say it's a fairly unique um, uh, community just because the people who come to it are coming to it for those very specific reasons and because they live in the Bay Area. Um, I would say it's what you're describing, we would call doing school at home. That's where you get a curriculum and you follow the curriculum. You basically are trying to track school.
0: So, um, how, so how are kids getting – so, for example, you know, there's, there's a kid. They're, they're getting independently educated. Maybe they're focusing on their passions or other things that they, they like. How would they then – you know, say they finish all the way through you – know, they're 18 years old. How would they go on and apply to a college or apply to – and say, hey, I have this education –
1: Well, I mean, I can't speak to the college admission process and I can't say I can't tell you one story that would fit everyone's experience. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you in general broad brushstrokes that colleges at this point in time tend to really like homeschoolers Mm -hmm. because what they have noticed is and what they what they recognize to be true is that they often do have much more of an independent, self-directed approach to learning. And they've often had rich experiences outside of the standard high school, school, traditional school approach. And they're often very articulate and they're often very capable of interacting with all levels of people
0: and very often very mature. So, Because they're kind of dealing with the real world a bit more than just going to class, which is very... Um, not similar to the real world.
1: Exactly. And they've also been encouraged to find what they're most interested in and to go deeply into it. Um. So there's a, a, a somewhat mistaken, in my opinion, notion that if a child doesn't go through the standard system as it's designed, that they're not going to have all the things they need to be a learner. And I would say that um, while I can't, again, speak to everyone's experience, that anecdotally, it looks to me from my experience and my exposure that kids who have the freedom and the support um, to really go in depth with their learning become skilled learners. And when you're a skilled learner, even if you missed how to do long division and then you discover you need long division to do the camp, They'll figure it out. <laughs> to you, then you will learn how to do it pretty yeah. easily. The, the point is that, that you, you become an effective learner. And to me, that's the vision that I hold for my, my kids and really for everyone is how do we go into the future of the 21st century as effective, self-empowered, self-directed um, human beings capable of learning whatever it is that's of interest of, or of need for our, our goals for ourselves and for our lives and for the world. Uh, Um, And I think that independent learning often supports that in many many great ways. So the answer to your logistical question is it varies state by state. mm -hmm. And I don't know the specific rules of very many states outside of California. I can tell you that in California, there's no official way to homeschool. You have two ways. If you decide you don't want to do brick and mortar school, there's two options for you at this point in time. One is to register a private school affidavit which used to be called an R4, it's a very, very simple form that designates you as the person running a private school. And that private school can have one student, two students, four students, whatever you like. And if you designate yourself as a private school, you can do whatever you want, just like all the other private schools in California. You don't have to do state testing. You, can, you really are completely free to do what you like. The other option is to register your student with a public school charter school that supports homeschoolers mm-hmm. and so there's a number of them in all different counties in California and you are officially a public school student because you're registered with a public school charter but effectively the parent is the one who meet who who sort of designs and supports and sometimes teaches the child and then the child and the parent meet with an education supervisor state once a month. In that case, because you're effectively a public school student, you have to do state testing, uh, which used to be called star testing. Now it has a new name. You have to follow certain expectations of the bare minimum of what's required in, in public school. And again, I, what I see is that the bare minimum of what's required in public school is much lower than what most of the independent learners I know do. So it's really not a problem to Sort of show those requirements and then carry on and actual do the, do the actual learning. Um, because that's the case, a lot of people will say, well, how many people are independently educating their kids in, in California or in the US? And I would say because there's no official way to homeschool it's very, very difficult to know. Um, uh, because like I said, logistically, um, most of the kids who are independently educated are either designated as students in a small private school or part of a public charter. So, I I think I answered part of your question. I'm you not did. Sure. You to answered okay.
0: totally my question and more. <laughs> and
1: then the other thing I'd add to your question is uh, the issue of tracking um, and getting what's needed as um as a learner in the elementary or K twelve system. Uh, one thing that I notice is that people. So commonly, people will say, "Oh, well, how are you going to get your educational needs met? How are you going to make sure your kid has what they need?" And like I said, I already addressed that one issue of the the question of trying to encourage learners. But the other piece is um, that uh, that there's there's um, there's a wide range of of, of approaches, and so not everyone will approach it the same way, but. But it's it's definitely possible to um, to to create any kind of similar system to the similar school environment or learning or or, or content or to go completely far away from it, and um, and that that most of the people who do homeschool their kids or take their kids out of school are not the kind of people. This is the comment that's often said. Well, how do you, how does how does our culture protect for people pulling their kids out of school and then just ignoring them? Well, one thing that I can tell you for certain is most people who pull their kids out of school to independently educate them are not the type of people who would be who would be ignoring and, and neglecting their kids. It's a lot easier to leave your kid in school in some ways than it is to pull them out <laughs> and design something for them.
0: I, I actually have heard that as well. Um, and I'm sure that there are some cases of that happening. But as you're saying, the majority is not the case. Um the, the- it's
1: Generally not the, the the yes exactly the
0: type of person the type of person or the type of personality yeah. that's going to pull their kids out of school. Um, yeah. I want to talk about this because this is you know now with the internet we hear a lot of you know self help gurus and 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 personal development people and and pretty big people in that world saying hey traditional school doesn't work. If anything, the people that were failures in traditional school turned out to be you know and they always cite uh, you know. Um, the founders of Apple as dropping out of Harvard and, and the found, you know, and all these big uh, tech giants and all these people, a lot of them being college dropouts or high school dropouts and just going on their own. Um, Do you think the traditional system is uh, failing? I mean, obviously you have your kids in a different situation, but that seems to be the, the future is heading, seems to be heading towards not going to traditional school.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I guess failing is a fairly strong word. I do believe that the traditional brick and mortar institutionalized education system is not keeping up with the times is not is not adapting quickly enough to what needs to happen and to what is needed
0: for our for our future world um i mean there's there's I've heard jokes constantly from parents that they're just basically mini prisons you know that's that's what i've I've heard constantly from my friends that have kids that yeah. That is basically, oh look, a new another new prison is being built, and they're talking about the middle school down the corner that has you know no windows and and actually looks like a prison.
1: <laughs> well, I mean the, the the history and the the origin of institutionalized education um, came out of sort of the industrial revolution where people really needed to have their kids somewhere, and people you know. And there, you know, on the on the more positive side, there's this there's the belief and the the possible truth that as a community, hopefully we can band together to give everyone the best of what's possible in in learning. And for some people that is a, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go out and full on trash schools because I've heard stories of people who say, you know, my home life was so terrible and there was such poverty and such dysfunction in my family that going to school was my saving grace. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness I met the teachers that I met there who supported my learning and, um, you know, gave me the idea that something else was possible. Yeah. There's, so there's a there's a large group of people who are outside sort of the standard norm. And actually, I would say that that is many. That is, it, it's almost the majority who are outside of the the mainstream in in some well, way that's, or another. That's why
0: I was making the point that that I think it's a fail because every single person I know, literally every single person I know that I've met that I've talked to about, you know, so that's a hundred percent. And I. No, quite a amount, a large amount of people absolutely hated school. Were bored mm-hmm. growing up. Were not challenged. Yeah. Felt stifled. Yeah. Felt like they were being um, many times brainwashed. Um, a lot yeah. of people talk about the traditional school system being a system of institutional brainwashing. You know, having to raise your, raise your hand to use the restroom, having to yeah. uh, raise your hand to ask permission. It's 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 been from my experience and the people that I talked to, they felt really like their creativity, their childhood, and and they were being molded to fit into a square hole at yes. any cost po- possible.
1: Yes. Okay, so that that definitely was primarily my experience in, in school and it's definitely very common for many for people to experience that. And I do think that you know if we're going to look at what is failing in schools it is that Trying to put people into one particular peg, trying to make everyone the same. The whole the direction it's going is further and further towards that. When you look at No Child Left Behind and
0: standardized testing and the Common Core, I mean,
1: and even the, teachers that I talk not, to who
0: are feel like they can't teach. They feel like they cannot yes. teach because they're so focused on brainwashing these kids into getting the certain score on the certain test, so the school gets the funding. Because yeah. they're not going to get funding unless they have a certain amount of kids meeting these certain requirements. And so if you're a kid that's a challenged learner, you're being left behind. If you're a kid that's, you know, more intelligent or needs more challenging, then you're bored out of your mind. And yeah. and they're teaching, you know, I have a very good friend who's a public school teacher and she says she feels as if her hands are tied behind her back and she's just yeah. infuriated and frustrated.
1: The, the, the problem is that the, in my opinion, teachers who are the most effective, exciting inspiring uh, um, educators are the ones who cannot do what they would do best. And so they must be so frustrated being in schools because that's just not, the mentality is not going towards inspiration and effectiveness and, um, you know, self-direction. It's really going towards everybody being the same and bare basic minimum and so, yeah, it, it's, it's quite sad what's happening in our educational world, in my opinion. Yeah, sure. I agree with the idea that education and the system as it is, is not very effective and not very good, but we're all needed to make it better. And if you leave the system, you're abandoning sort of the larger culture and, um, you know, everybody else. So Have you, been, acu- not- Have you been accused of that? Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever specifically come out and say, Hey, Lisa, you are doing this, but that's definitely a common belief system, which is, you know, it's the people, the teachers, the, and the parents who are really involved and engaged and have really big visions for what's possible that are needed in the public school system. And I know many people who are in the homeschooling world who had long conversations with themselves about leaving the public school because they felt that they, they could have contributed in some way, um, I feel personally that it's it's very very difficult to change things from within inside the system, and I'm a little bit more of a person who says, "Hey, mine and other people's biggest contribution can be from stepping outside, making things better, creating more challenge, and for the purpose of ever rising up together." I also fully fully support, acknowledge, honor. Um, those people who are willing to kind of stay in the system and battle it out and and there are some amazing teachers amazing people who are, are who are doing that um, and I give them you know total props and ma- major kudos if they're willing to do that I just believe that we're all needed and if uh, a teacher or a family feels that they, their hands have just been too tied from within the system and that they need to go outside of the system and create something else, that that in the end benefits the institutional education too. Um, because it creates the possibility, it, it creates a sense of what else could be going on. And it also sets a requirement for the, the institutions to kind of rise up and really, really, you know, uh, become better. So
0: I, I like I like the concepts that you talked about, uh, you know, about a lot of kids who are independently educated, being you know more mature, having kind of being more well rounded, because I think that's more in line with um, what society is. I I know a lot of people were promised. This idea of do well in school, be successful in life, and as they grow up, they're noticing that that's not always the case. That if you were the straight A student in traditional school, that you're going to be, you know, successful in your lifetime. And I know a lot of adults who are now going back and and saying, "Hey, I I feel kind of cheated because that's not really what life is about." And the system that you're talking about, that you're creating in the community you're creating, sounds a little bit more aligned in what kids have to face in reality?
1: Um, yeah, I think I I think that is true. I do think that the idea that we're we spend, you know, 12, 13 years in a situation where all of the people around us are around us because of the same age that we, we all share the same age we're all within 11 or 12 months of each other in age and that's the primary thing that connects us i i think it's a, a, a bit odd a, a bit manufactured um because in real life you're dealing doesn't... with
0: people of all ages all sizes all ethnicities all you know every single right unless you're living exactly Michelle, so. exactly
1: and and the thing is even if you say well we do that because it makes most sense for learning well guess what it really does not make for learning uh, there's such a wide variety of people's abilities and it's not even necessarily you know standard for one person so that makes school situations where everyone's in one class really really difficult because you know one child could be two or three or five or six years ahead of the standard English curriculum that same child may be a year or two behind in math or you know a, v- a variety of other things or social you know skills or PE or whatever. So to try to say everyone is the same and at the same level because of the same age, it just, it just doesn't really make any sense. And, and I do think that what you're alluding to and what I think I mentioned before is true is that if you're outside of the traditional education, you're, you're, our kids are interacting with so many more adults than most kids get exposure to every single day. So many more people in the community are out doing things, um, um, you know, with, with all ages of kids. So they get used to, um, you know, being kind to the younger children, supporting them, helping them. Um, they get used to, uh, people being, um, different from them in so many different ways. And I, I think it not only creates an opportunity for people to find their own course educationally, but it also creates kids who are are so much more tolerant of people who are different from them. The kids that I know who are independently educated they just do not think in terms of cliques or in terms of, you know, finding a way to survive socially or, you know, dissing because they're younger or older or different or, you know, or it's just, it's just such, um, such a different kind of cultural feel socially um, for the kids that aren't in typical schools. Now I haven't been in a typical school for a really long time, um, but I do know some kids and I do Past with some kids who are in school, and many of them are amazing human beings. But I definitely see more of a pattern, anecdotally, towards a sort of in group, out group, um,
0: clicks, and uh, bullying, and things like that.
1: Clicks, yeah. I hear about bullying. I don't know many kids who are personally, but
0: um, there
1: are a lot of people who come to our group with actually bright kids, and they will. They have said, "Wow, my kid was so bullied in school, not only by sometimes the kids, but also sometimes by the teachers because." They just didn't know how to handle that. They, they're sort of out of the box wasn't necessarily appreciated or, or welcomed. So yeah.
0: I, and, and I that, like that kind, of- kind of goes in alignment with what I talked about because um, you know, you're saying that kids are at all different levels of development, not just one level for eleven year olds and eleven year olds, right? You know, it maybe an eleven year old would be at a thirteen year old's level for one thing and a ten year old's level for another thing. But you know, the only way in the traditional system to elevate that is by skipping a grade. And I, I remember several kids growing up, in my personal experience, that were skipped to higher grades because of their intelligence level. And there was a level of jealousy and they were extremely picked on.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that that's not uncommon. And what you said just a second ago about the fact that some kids might be a couple of years higher or lower than, uh, than their grade range, I would say that that's in many ways more common than not if
0: you at ability
1: now you may be per per subject or per
0: developmental whatever right yeah
1: yes exactly and just that fact that if you take a kid's ability and you really give them the ability to go fully at their own speed in any given subject area my guess is you're going to see all over the map in terms of ability you know sure there'll be some kids who are who are given the their ability to operate full potential which schools do not do in my opinion or very rarely do for a few people Um, you will see some people who end up sort of racing ahead in all subjects evenly but that's going to be very uncommon what's likely to be more common is you'll see um an any given kid racing ahead in particular subjects maybe you know not even not not racing as much forward in a different subject could change over time a kid who's passionately involved in and you know really interested in in, econ- in economics might race ahead and really engage in that and get really deeply involved in it and at a certain point later maybe they'll just totally passionate about math and then start to you know have that one race ahead so I, I think that asynchrony which is what we call it is both the as- asynchrony meaning you have different abilities at different levels and they're not necessarily matched you might have you know or six years of, of difference between your ability in one subject versus another. We call that asynchrony, um, and I'd say that's more common than not for most people, especially if you let them let them really operate, the to which they're they're.
0: So, what about kids in high school? You know, there's there's kind of a jo- a joke that a lot of parents have made um, that have kids in high school who ask you know, their kids come to them and ask them for tutoring or ask them for help. And, you know, this is like a common joke. A lot of parents will say, well, I don't remember any of that stuff. You're never going to need it. So what about at the high school level, kids who just have no interest at all in advanced calculus or advanced sciences and just want to not learn about that? Is that, you know, do you think that's a disservice as a parent that's independently educating to not focus on that because you might, they might have potential in it or just what, what what happens when a child is just so strong, has such a strong proclivity to one subject or one topic and you're independently educating them?
1: Oh, my gosh. That's such a mm, – that's a really hard question to answer because um,
0: – Did I ask I something I loaded?
1: To... <laughs> no, I just don't have personal experience with it. So I have a 16-year-old and I have a 10-year-old. And I know people who have all different ages of kids and um, – some families really take the perspective of, you know, let the kids do what they want. And when they want to do something else, they'll learn it. So I'll give you some, some sort of little anecdotes that I can think of. Okay, um, I have a friend whose son is um, really passionately interested in musical theater. And he's six, about when he was 15 or 16, he was absolutely clear that's what he was going to do. He had not done very much in the way of math because he doesn't like it. And it just wasn't something they prioritized in any kind of extraordinary way. They kept it sort of basically engaged. But now he wants to go to, he wants to get into one of the programs for um, musical theater, one of the, one of the colleges and you to go to musical theater, you have to have math. So now he is, and you have to write the SAT. So now he of his own volition is taking on becoming a really strong person in math because he has to, to go to study musical theater. And um, so that's one way it can happen. A kid gets uh, passionate about something and then they need to, they are willing to jump through the hoops they need to, to get to that that goal. And then they take on what they need.
0: So it seems like true, a lot of true passion towards learning not just you know being forced to I mean he is being forced to in the fact that he has to do these math courses to get what he wants but that's part of like everyday life right if you want to reach a certain goal in life you have to sometimes do a couple things that you're not that wild about but it seems like the the passion for the learning is coming from the internal
1: yes it's and it's a means to an end that's motivated um, by his desire and his passion for what he loves Um, that said again another thing i would offer is i that i don't have sort of really broad universal experience because i do run the group that i run is uh attracts people who are looking for often for more advanced um offerings for their kids than they were getting in school and i would say there's a pretty large percentage of high ability math kids Mm -hmm. in our group so in fact they end up getting more what they would have needed that they wouldn't get in school in terms of that kind of thing so um, so I, 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 I'm trying to project forward with my daughter. My daughter is, um, not likely to be oriented that way. And the way that I approach things with her is I do require stuff of her because, um, I don't want to close any doors Not even so much in terms of somebody else's acceptance of her, but I don't want to close any doors in terms of her ability to see herself as someone who is interested in good at um, something like math. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do play the parent card in some cases, and especially she's 10. But as my son's gotten older, for example, I'm much more likely to really dig into what he's interested in to support what he wants and to be more willing to say, okay, well, we don't need to worry so much about that. I mean, he's, he's a pretty, um, general, um, well-rounded person. And he also is pretty, um, willing to take my opinion and to respect my perspective. So if I say to him, you know, I really think it would be good this year to work on your, your writing output. He, he'll think about it and he'll say, "Hmm, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a good idea. Um, Usually, there's the reason why is because we have we have respectful, collaborative kind of relationship, and and I think that that's one of the foundations that's really important and possible when you're working with one or two or three kids. You have the time to say, "Hey, what's going to be right for you? Let's explore it." Whereas if you're trying to manage twenty kids or twenty five kids or thirty kids, who how could they ever really have? very much of a relationship with someone who's really going to say, is this necessary for you? Is this important for you? Is this the right decision for you? If not, how can we find an alternative?
0: It you sounds know? like there's a lot of respect and honor and mutual um, appreciation of each other instead, and the actual human being of the child instead of just your number in a classroom or your you know, need to be quiet and pay attention. That's what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's facilitated by the fact that there is more time for that
0: um, when you just
1: are working with a smaller group of kids. And it's not just necessarily even me with my own kids. I feel like there's a number of kids in my community who I helped raise because we've been doing this together. We create classes. I've, you know, organized things and in some cases even taught or run groups. Um, Like for example, I ran a creative problem solving group um, with uh, six, uh, five or six kids for a number of years. And so, you know, we also develop relationships with each, with each other's kids, but it's still a small enough group where you're actually able to think about the individual person and what they are and who they need. And I, and I think you just hit on something, which is really true, which is that allows for an environment and a relationship that's based on respect for the individual that is the learner. And, um, yeah, I think that's really important. And I definitely think that that's uh, the case. That's what I have with my son. Um, you know, even though he's 16 and he's, you know, in a process where he's figuring out what's right for him and he's, you know, I, I think that our relationship is based on, um, respect and he knows that I put a bunch of time in and a bunch of work in to try to support and encourage him in ways that are right for him, but that I ultimately, it's a conversation. Ultimately it's a conversation where he has a lot of say, in what's right for him. And so I, it is he just was he just born a reasonable person? Yeah, to some degree he was. But I also think that he's more likely to respond like a reasonable, mature, independent, thinking, self-directed person because he's been, you know, give, he's been given treated that a, way. He's been treated that way and been and had an opportunity to grow in that way.
0: But when you ask the question, was he born a reasonable person? You know, I think a lot of children, in fact, most children are born very reasonable and. It's- and many of them are marginalized to the point of misbehaving. I actually just had an amazing um, child uh, advocate on, a child psychology advocate on the show. And he was talking about how he works with children, and children are very smart and they're little geniuses. And what happens is that they become marginalized or treated as children. And so they act accordingly. And when children are throwing temper tantrums or having these outbursts, and or in your teen years when you're rebelling, it's because you're not feeling heard. And so, yeah. are you have are these independent educated kids, as you've seen, that are in the high school age, less uh, rebe- rebelling less than the, maybe the typical teen who doesn't feel heard or feels stifled.
1: I, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. I I absolutely believe that. If kids can be grow up feeling respected and like they matter and like they have a choice and that their needs are being met that they 're more likely to to respond that way I mean I guess the the thing that weighs on my mind constantly and it does a little bit go back to that question of leaving the public school system is how to how to make this scalable you know and I, to some degree, I have some sort of broad brush answers in my own head that have to do with community um, but but as you're even saying that, part of my brain is going to, yeah, but what about all those other kids who don't have the environment? You know, I still do have that that kind of inner conflict for the the many, many kids who are in that situation where they don't have, um, I don't know, my heart just breaks a little bit for what you're describing, the, well, the numbers what of kids you... that are in situations.
0: By creating the environment that you've created, you're actually encouraging more parents. And by, you know, me spreading the word about it, we're encouraging more parents to look at that. Because I, I do believe that most parents, obviously, there are some parents who, you know, um, have children maybe they feel they didn't have the choice or they are not the best parents but I believe that most parents do want the best for their kids and they think that they're doing what's best for their kids because maybe it's what they had done to them or what had the way they were raised and yeah. so we're just offering an alternative and and you know don't let it weigh on your mind because you're actually taking a step forward and leading by example and maybe someone will listen to this podcast and say hey maybe I should look into that for my kids because I do believe that you know people genuinely want to do a good job. They just, if they're not yeah. doing a good job, it's because they don't know how or they don't know that there's an alternative.
1: Yes, I guess the piece that I'm really referring to is that there's a scalability issue. So right now, the people that I know, and me also, I many of us, uh, I would say there's a high percentage of mothers in our group as opposed to fathers, although we do have quite a few fathers who are the, the, the stay at home, um, independent, uh, uh, learning parent, primary homeschooling parent. And we also have quite a few families who are working parents and we have a few single parents also. So, but the reality is, it still is easier to do if you have the financial means, if you have another parent who's working, if you, you know, it still does require, um, those of us who are the primary parents who have taken some kind of pause on our own careers. Um, Many, many, many of the people in my group, uh, the women, there's many attorneys, there are many really successful professional people who have taken pauses on our careers for some period of time so they can actually give that kind of attention to to their learners, to their kids at home who are to to, to support them now it's not strictly required and there are a number of places that we all support each other and the classes are formed or communities are built or there's co-ops and like I say it is possible for people to also work and and have their kids learning um, at home or out in the world but it's harder and it's not 100% scalable and so I guess what I'm referring to is the query in my own mind of how To spread some of this, some of the thinking that we're doing and some of the exploring that we're doing, maybe even into schools, or, or having schools um, morph more towards what we're doing. So so, I guess I'm sort of agreeing with what you're saying is that by doing it, yes, we're creating alternatives, but we're kind of not at the epitome of success yet. You know, we're, in order to be at the epi- epitome of success, it needs to be more scalable and more community oriented. And I, and I do think if somehow we were to able to create learning, um, learning sort of centers that were Mixed age that were you know uh, alternated and scaled to the ability and the interests of the learners that had people coming in from outside outside world um, as mentors that we have a mentoring m- mentoring kind of culture that um, that we have a la carte choices in terms of. Um, uh, to learn this and this, but not that for right now. I, I, don't, I don't exactly know what the details are, but I think there's some marrying of sort of the t- traditional collectivity of a school situation with the independence and um, uh, individualization and the sort of learner respect and self-directed culture that is possible in the independent learning world.
0: I think there's a little bit of that going on. I know uh, Montessori school is an alternative to traditional school, and, and that has a little bit of that. And also um, the charter school system is is morphing the traditional school system a little bit, and there are some excellent charter schools that are kind of addressing some of these issues. But I think you're right. There's still a long way to go, and and definitely the current system is not you know, I know you said you didn't want to bash it. I definitely think it's failing. I have not met anyone that came out of the traditional school system that um, felt like it did them their highest potential. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and then just to just to piggyback on what you're saying, it's true. And there are especially I know, mostly this, there are a number of new high schools developing with slightly different approaches. There's a couple of, pretty progressive, um, you know, low, uh, elementary age schools. Um, and there's going to be more and more. And I, I actually, re- I know that they're going to be, uh, just last year, three new high schools started that I know of with alternative approaches. I, I see them get even more radical in their approach um, than, than, than they're currently um, doing, especially in the public school realm. There's a lot of alternatives in terms of the, in the public, se- in the private sector. Where people are offering classes, mm-hmm. um, individualized classes for different people, and it's it's what I call the direct to consumer learning model. So where parents are used to paying for classes, but they don't necessarily want to pay for a whole private school, but they'll pay for this class, that class. So that's really popping up, and I know it's going to in- increasingly do so. But yes, absolutely, change needs to be made. And hey, we haven't even talked about higher ed yet. So
0: <laughs> yes, I wanted to mention that before um, we unfortunately have to end in a yeah. in, in a little bit, but. Um, I wanted to talk about that because you create content for a website called oncollege.org and I wanted to get your opinion on whether or not college is really serving people because you know we constantly hear you know in the mainstream media oh there's all these you know high levels of unemployment people with college education is just sinking deeper and deeper into student loan debt and you know then there's institutions that are popping up online that are teaching, in, you know, the the skills that people need to, you know, my husband is actually studying at one of these independent institutions right now um, to get information. He's in the IT industry. And he instead of going back and paying a four-year college to get, um, he is an engineer and switched into the IT field. And it's what, instead of going back to a four-year college to get an, his computer science degree, he's just taking these online courses on, you know, um, different IT classes and and programming and other things. And he's been able to, you know, get a job and network and do other things that you would traditionally need to do at a four-year college. So what, you know, is the higher education system also kind of disappearing or falling behind?
1: It's absolutely radically changing. And I believe it's going to change even more. In um, 2008, um, uh, a professor um, from... One of the universities did a talk on how the institutions need to change or die. And I saw that in 2008 and felt absolutely 100% so on board, so true. And what I've seen is the speed to which, of which um, people are realizing that it is a crumbling tower um, is has been so much faster. It's happened so much more quickly than I really expected it to. And I mean, we have very little time, but yes, the amount of student debt, student debt's unforgivable. It's at $3 trillion right now. People are going to their senior citizen ages with college debt. Um, there's, not, there's not any certainty that people will be able to get jobs that will pay for their debt. Um, that doesn't even address efficacy. So all of this to say in such a brief amount of time that the university systems have to change. They will change. They can, Peter Thiel says it's a bubble. It absolutely is a bubble. We cannot sustain the amount of cost. It costs $60,000 to go to Stanford now. And you can get student aid if you make, uh, if your family makes under a hundred thousand, but if you'd make over a hundred thousand, I think it's very difficult to get very much, um, very much aid that's not merit aid. And so, I mean, this is just, it can't go on like that. You know, that again, it doesn't even address, can we be learning more effectively?
0: Um, and the answer know. is yes, these, these online universities are popping up yes. everywhere. And, and people are doing that a la carte learning with online institutions. Yes. And you're just needing certain certifications, or certain, you know, you can take these online courses that satisfy yes. the information that you need to get certain yes. careers now. And especially with the, the speed of technology, and the speed of technology careers that are emerging, um, you know, to implement this type of learning into an institution would take longer, you know, the information would be outdated.
1: Yeah, you just you just hit on one piece that I think is one of the central changes that we're going to see in the university or in the higher ed ed system going forward. And that is um, the granularity of learning. So I believe that it's I believe the four year degree may not necessarily have the same cachet that it has in the past, but rather people are going to see the possibility of spending the money. That they want, that they have at their disposal, on more, like I say, granular, but more um, smaller, smaller pieces. So, so the chunks are going to become smaller. It's going to be a content uh, uh, offering, or a particular program, or a particular class, or a particular concept that people will be paying to learn, or a particular skill set, rather than this big part and parcel, sixty thousand dollar four year. Um, you know, no, 60000 what, $250,000 a four-year Ivy League degree or something. Um, I, I think that's one of the huge changes. I also believe that one of the holy grails of the higher ed system that's ripe for disruption is the credentialing system. And that refers to how people perceive um, another person's worth or ability and it used to be that if you had a degree from Harvard, okay, that was that was what that was the highest thing you could have in terms of your um, your signal to the world. Um, I think that's going to radically change, and I don't, I can't even necessarily predict how it's going to change. Other than, then the learning is going to be granular, the credentialing is going to be more granular, and we're going to have more uh, um, more uh, attention on what people are capable of and what they, what skill sets they already have.
0: I think I think the internet and and the connectivity and the technology that's out now is really creating a system of competitiveness, not in a negative way, but really, I guess more create creativeness is a better term to use, where people are really just i mean, there's no excuses. Now, you know, you really have access, it's kind of leveling the field. Whereas before, you had to have money, you know, to maybe go to a higher institution or go to an Ivy League school, or you had to know someone, you know, um, a lot of Ivy League schools have a extreme preferential treatment for alumni's children, and other things like that. So, you know, it was a little bit of an old boys club. And I think the internet is now leveling that in so many ways, because a lot of it is just not relevant anymore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the reason why uh, I say that um, the credentialing system is ripe for disruption, because it's, it's really clear to most people that content and skill building is available online, but people still don't understand yet how how that will translate to other people's perception of their worth. So I hear a lot of people say, okay, yes, I get that. I can learn the content, but I still need the degree to be able to show that I'm, that I'm, you know, that I'm valid or that I'm skilled or that I'm capable or that I'm worthy of a high paying job or whatever it is I'm after. But that, that's the part that I think is really, is really going to change in some really unexpected ways
0: in the not very distant future. And I still am not understanding, you know, how the, education system, higher education system has been growing in costs. I, I know that in certain states there's funding cut. And so that makes, um, costs go up, but, um, I, I don't know what is bleeding these universities because they keep raising costs and I'm not understanding where it's coming from.
1: Yeah, I can't, I cannot answer to that one. I'm, you know, if you watch a movie like ivory towers, they'll say that certain administrators are making a lot of money. I, I don't I don't think teachers are making a whole pile of money, so I'm not really exactly sure where it goes to. But, yeah, that's outside of my realm of expertise for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what Uh, would you so what so what um, what do you suggest for for students who are, you know, freshly 18 and looking for um, maybe an alternative to traditional higher ed?
1: Um, well, I think the most important thing is to think about what is, what is specifically unique to you, what it is that you want to mentor or a community of people to build your network of supporters, to have a mentor, or like I say, Mm -hmm. other people that you work with, or you learn with, um, to start having the conversation about what is it that you need? Just, just like people do in their adult Mm -hmm. lives. Sorry, my, my. I'm obviously people are trying to reach me. Sorry for all the beeping. Um, so, so I'd say that to have a community of people and a support network is super, super important. And then to really just open your mind up as to what's possible, because really, truly, anything is possible. There's so much to be learned from traveling. There are so many programs up there. You mentioned on college. On college has a gap program that I think is really interesting there's alternative universities like Watson University in in Colorado that are offering um, like support for kids who really want to make a difference and change the world there's something called the millennial train project which gives kids the opportunity to um, do a uh, sort of an on train learning short this is a short one going across um, across the states to learn there Blake Bowles has um, a program for 15 to 18 year olds that's three independent learning program for self-directed learners where they take on challenges every day as a community there's th- for 30, 30 kids that's coming up I mean and there are going to be more and more offerings like that they're that outside of the box so I say if you're someone who isn't sure college is right for you. Don't just accept it part and parcel as the next thing that everyone does. Everyone's doing it and have to do it because for whatever XYZ reason you're giving it. There are so many opportunities and if there isn't one that you want, you can create it.
0: And also, you don't have to go into the traditional system as well. You know, you can create your own career. there. And even, you know, aside from, you know, we're talking about education, there's there's even you know farms where you can go and learn how to do organic farming and intern as an organic farmer I mean there's the the internet and and the interconnectivity of the world is just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, and there's so many things that you can do that's not just you know go to college, get a job you know it, i mean uh, before you know back in the day we just had the Peace Corps, and that's it but <laughs>
1: The, The other thing I'd say is that if you're someone who's really passionate about going to college, and you know why you're going there, and you're able to get into a college that's of interest to you, and you have enough financial support to be able to do it either through scholarships or through, you know, family support or through your own savings, that you can do it without getting yourself extremely into debt, by all means, go if that 's what you're into, if that 's what 's right for you. But if that 's not the case, then don't just go not knowing what you 're going to do with the idea that well, of course it 's what I have to do and that 's where I just jump on what I'm saying, which is use the internet, use your resources, know that there, there are so many opportunities and so many programs and more and more every day, and, and even not programs, just like you can design your own your own world. The other thing is, that if you decide to jump off the, the treadmill for a and do a gap year or you own self-design gap year or uh, travel or work or intern, you can always go back to college. You know, my, my husband, my husband um, went off and did his own thing until he was 25. And then he decided he wanted to go. He thought, oh, now I'm ready to go to college. And then he went to Harvard, MIT and Caltech when he was starting when he was 25 or 26. You know, there's and I think he probably did. Enjoyed it so much more going when, at that age than he would have when he was 18 or 19. So, you know, opportunities abound. Just I would say my biggest piece of information of, of suggestion is just do not accept what's right in front of you. Look more broadly for what's possible and make sure it fits you and who you are.
0: And I think that makes a lot of sense to take time because, you know, what 18 year old knows what they're what they're doing? You know, how many, you know, shake your head if you're listening, you know, probably everyone. Um, if you changed majors once or twice your first year in college, a lot of, you know, kids don't know what they're doing and they need a little bit of time to figure stuff out. And that's OK. Yep, so absolutely. you don't have to go right after high school. Um You know, the majority of people I know changed majors two or three times and actually got into a little bit more college debt than they could handle because they were in longer, you know, kind of washing around back and forth. So um, you don't have to do, as Lisa said, exactly what is there. You can you can make your own decisions. And if you have parents pressuring you, you know, it's your life. Um, Lisa, where can people find you? Um, What is the name of your program that you're uh, supporting up there in the Bay Area? Where can people get more information
1: um, well, I, the program the, that I've already mentioned really is, um, is a, is it's a private homeschool group. I mean, people can contact me. I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. And the program that I mentioned, the gap year program is on college. That's at uncollege.org. Um, then the other programs I mentioned are also pretty easy to find Watson. I'm also sponsoring, uh uh suggesting person for 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 Watson. They're a pretty interesting college to look at too. I think they're uh just a search on Watson University. And then, you know, I'm I'm working right now on slowly on a book on meta-learning because meta-learning is the thing that I believe is necessary for all people going forward, and that is how do we learn the skills um that are needed uh to be learners going forward in the world because we're constantly going to be learning. So I'm always interested in hearing from people around the content. Con- concept of meta-learning, if people have projects or things they're working on related to to being um, a, a meta-learner. Um, we didn't really talk about the details of that, but um, definitely interested in hearing, that, hearing about that. So my website is lisabl.com. Um, it's actually down right now, but I hope to have it back up pretty soon. And I usually post the things that I'm working on there.
0: Okay, perfect. So guys, check her out and get some more information on alternative education at uncollege.org. Um, guys, please go on iTunes, iTunes.com slash out of the box podcast, and subscribe. Subscribers really help us a lot and push our numbers up and make uh, more people find out about the podcast. And always as always, we're on out of the com and you can click on the donate button. We are now accepting litecoins and bitcoins and all alternative currency. And on SoundCloud, please visit our sponsor, com. Spread love, give a hug, com. This has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran.